0: Well, good afternoon uh, from London, and I'm delighted to have with me today, uh, our special guest, special because he's returning for the third time, which is an extremely rare, in fact, I think it is the only time we've we've ever done that in the FS Club webinar series, Dr. Raj Perseau. Now, given the enormous turnout today, it's pretty clear that many of you know him. He uh, he started off our pandemic series with how to panic properly in a pandemic, uh, and also earlier this year on how to be happy and today we're, we're going to be chatting about the psychology of seduction and why it is important in business, the boardroom, and the bedroom. So you should be getting a heck of a lot of tips today from Raj. Now you'll know me, I'm Michael Minelli, and I am certainly not the master of seduction, so I'll pass on my picture and move swiftly to trying to seduce some more sponsors to join us. We're always uh, welcome, uh, welcoming new sponsors, uh, but it's a delight that our sponsors do allow us to range so widely and freely across technology economics and finance uh, and yet behind technology economic and finance is always people and the psychology of people is endlessly fascinating and interesting and that's why we are absolutely delighted to have this uh, series with Raj now i'm going to get out of the way as quickly as possible raj is going to speak for about 20 minutes uh, and we've got uh, we've always had uh, no difficulty with q and a with uh, you and raj so i'll try and uh, handle that as efficiently as possible to get as many comments and questions in so three quick points of housekeeping yes this is being recorded and it will be up in approximately two working days i.e probably wednesday afternoon secondly there are some slides and they too uh, will be posted and posted in the chat room for you here as we're going along uh, as well as uh, links to some of raj's work that you can purchase on amazon Uh, and finally 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 if you want to ask questions and please do but get them in early because there will be quite a few uh, put them into the go-to webinar chat room. If there's any uh, need to contact Raj about something, all of the comments, questions, observations will be sent to him along with your emails, so he can get in touch with you if you wanted him to get in touch with him on something special. Um, but that, that's about it. Now, as I say, my job is to get out of the way and hand you over to our leading uh, webinar uh, web webinar guest, Dr. Raj Perso. Raj, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you very much. Um, so as many of you already will know, I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I'm based in private practice in Harley Street. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit today about the psychology of seduction. And I'm gonna explain a little bit about how I got into this subject because it's not immediately apparent or obvious why a psychiatrist should be so interested in the subject but I actually think it goes to the heart of many of people's problems and many of the problems of the people that I see in my clinic I think actually in a sense come down to this issue of seduction now straight away I'm gonna disappoint some of you because you'll probably have logged on I'm sorry to to, to rumble you so early I'm um, hoping for some tips on how to shall I say pull um, and you have an empty evening uh, ahead of you and you were hoping to make Maybe hook up. Uh, I think that's the modern parlance. I'm a very middle aged guy. I'm not quite sure what all those words mean. There is a sense in which some of the techniques, and there will be techniques I'll be discussing, can be used for these um, somewhat more nefarious purposes. However, I'm more interested in seduction and perhaps a wider or deeper sense of the word. And one of my main contentions is the modern world has forgotten or lost the art of seduction. And that is partly because of technology. Dating apps mean people spend all their time swiping right, swiping left, and that's how they um, arrive at a date and when you arrive at a date, there's a sense in which a lot of work has already happened behind the scenes in terms of why the two of you are connecting, and you tend to make a decision about whether you're going to see the other person again based on criteria, which in my opinion, don't really allow seduction to have a chance. So um, even if you ask people what the word seduction means, I think it's very interesting. People don't really understand uh, what that word means. So um, Seduction isn't what many people think it means, which is you go to a bar, you see a very attractive person, uh, you both get blind drunk, and at the end of the evening, you fall into each other's arms. And that, to many people, is a seduction. That's not a seduction. A seduction is you meet someone, you are vaguely aware that uh, at best they're indifferent to you, at worst, they seem to hate you, and you use your charm and skills to turn this oil tanker around and you seduce them into liking you so seduction is about the idea of stimulating desire in another person for you now I think for various reasons, we've lost that art. And one of the reasons is people don't meet each other in an an organic way as they may have done in the past. If you join a tennis club and you see someone drop dead gorgeous on the tennis lesson you're attending, then this more organic way of the tennis club means you're going to meet them next week and the week after and the week after without having to fix up a date. No one has to make a decision to meet the person. It's already going to happen anyway. And this gives an opportunity opportunity for seduction to be in play. I'm not against dating apps, but I think they distort the way we think about seduction. I also think that there's a sense in which seduction is in play when you want to get your boss to give you a pay rise, uh, when you want the waiter to give you better service in the restaurant. Now, I don't again mean seduction in a narrow erotic sense of that word. What I mean is seduction in the sense of getting people to desire you or like you so they come forward and they want to give you stuff that you want um, and one of the pools of data I'll be drawing on is the notion that there's a science to love and a science to seduction and right away we're going to reach a bit of a problem in that many people don't like that idea they want to think about romance and love as poetic mysterious chemical things, and Hollywood movies in particular uh, disseminate that idea, and I think it's actually very impairing. So let's um, kick off by asking you a question. Uh, Michael, I think you like to read the question, don't you? And see yes, what you other uh, will respond. Yeah.
0: yeah, so which of the following activities on the first date is most likely to stimulate attraction? I've launched the poll and you can have a go, so is it, uh, one, going to see an entertaining rom-com movie, Uh, Two, a relaxing meal in a good restaurant. Three, going to see a horror movie. Or four, going to a fun fair with a terrifying roller coaster ride. Uh, As you can see, uh, Raj Raj is a big film fan here. Uh, (laughs) And uh, Hollywood would, I'm sure, like us to believe that it's one in three. Anyway, um, three quarters of the audience have voted. I'll leave it open for just a second longer. So get your your votes in there quickly. Uh, Well up, heading towards 90% have voted. And I'm now going to share the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Here we go. Um, so 74% like to eat a relaxing meal in a good restaurant on their first date. It's pretty overwhelming there. 20%, though, a significant minority on going to a fun fair. Nobody on seeing a horror film. And only 6% on rom com. So films have scored poorly. Back to you, yes. Raj. Okay.
1: Right, so what I'm interested in is how did people go about thinking about this question? What was the, um, the criteria by which we decided the answer to the question? And um, people might've been going with their own um, instincts, but there actually is a science to this. People have done research on this question. Um, now, when you w- chose the restaurant, you're not necessarily making a bad choice in in choosing the restaurant uh, option. Uh, Maybe you're sending a signal um, to uh, your date as to uh, what your income is um, by choosing a swanky restaurant and you're sending signals about your taste. The research evidence is that doing something a bit dangerous and a bit risky is the thing that's most likely to stimulate attraction. And there's a very interesting evolutionary psychology reason uh, behind that. And that is that we are following a program, a desire program. We are biologically programmed to fall in love and to fuel desire. And that program really kicks into place in a very strong way when there is danger in our environment. Because our genetic program detects the fact we may not be allow- around for very much longer, and it may be wise to start procreating fast and pass on our genes. So, at the heart of the science of love idea is a very interesting idea that there are biological programs at play in our brains, which are below conscious awareness. And if you became more aware of those programs, maybe you could use the science of desire and the science of seduction. Uh, to your own advantage. So the next slide is a book that I've written recently, which has several chapters on how seduction has changed in the era of COVID. But the first book I wrote on this subject was entitled Simply Irresistible, The Psychology of Seduction. And in that book, I made a very bold claim. I said, if you understood the rules of attraction, you could make anyone fall in love with you. This is an extremely bold claim, but based on the scientific research on the subject. Um, now, when um, uh, the BBC um, heard that I had published this book and made this claim, that you could make anyone fall in love with you, they said, let's do a scientific experiment where you test your claims, Dr. Persaud. We're gonna send you speed dating. Now, I know that Michael doesn't know what speed dating is because he's been happily married for so many years, uh, but speed dating is a, a, an old-fashioned thing where you go to a club or a pub or a restaurant that's been devoted to this uh, 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 function, and um, you get three minutes, you meet a lot of people, you just get three minutes, and at the end of the three minutes, a whistle is blown, you have to move on to meet the next person. All you've got is three minutes in which to talk to someone. And at the end of the evening, people fill out a form where they indicate whether they want to meet you again for friendship, whether they want to meet you again for romance, or whether they never wanna meet you again. So you get kind of instant feedback on how seductive you've been. So uh, the BBC said, let's put your money where your mouth is, we'll send you on speed dating, we'll see how many people um, um, fall victim to your techniques in your book, Simply Irresistible. So I announced rather proudly to my wife that the BBC were gonna make this program and she got very alarmed. She said, you're not gonna do this, are you? I said, well, yes, why not? It'll be good promotion for the book. And she said, but what happens if no one chooses you? Um, and I said, well, thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> and right there, you could see immediate, an immediate gender difference between men and women. It never would occur to a man that it was possible that there was could be that uh, outcome. Of course, though, it's very, very possible indeed. But my wife was um, very, very worried about that possibility. I'm going to reveal, if we get time in Q&A, the, the results of uh, the speed dating um, scenario. But um, one of the points I'm trying to make here is that Um, If you think about speed dating, the science of attraction helps you. You've only got three minutes. What can you do in three minutes? Well, one way if you want to think more scientifically about love is to break down relationships into attention, interest and maintenance the notion that relationships have three phases the attention phase is when you first walk into a bar and see someone who's really gorgeous and they have your attention then the interest phase is you go over to talk to them and uh, are they interesting are they worth getting to know and then finally there's the maintenance phase which may last weeks months or decades when you maintain a relationship And now people object very strongly to some of the, what they would call manipulative techniques we're going to discuss in a minute that arise out of the science of love. But what they're failing to see is if you go with this schema which divide relationships into a more structured position of attention, interest and maintenance, it begins to help you think about what to do depending on where you are. Right away, I can tell you, if you've only got three minutes speed dating, all you should be trying to do is get someone's attention say something that gets their attention, and that helps simplify the project. And we'll reveal a little bit later uh, the results of that speed dating. Let's move on to um, the next slide. So this is a very, very romantic picture. This is Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt on their wedding day, and um, you couldn't get a more romantic picture than this. I show this picture to illustrate that the key two different ways of thinking about seduction are the romantic way and the scientific practical way and of course the pragmatic practical scientific way is the way i'm going to advocate over the next few minutes and this is extremely unpopular with the general public and you can see why the romantic approach is much more popular just look at this picture okay um if i was to show you a science picture about love which i'm going to show you in a minute it's a picture of a brain it's not as alluring as this picture these two people are drop dead gorgeous what is the key difference between the romantic approach and the scientific approach the romantic approach places great store on emotions you feel a strong emotion when you see this picture you think ah they look really sweet and this is fantastic she's dropped dead gorgeous and so is him you are now galvanized by emotion you're going to use emotions as a guide as to what you do next this is the basis of the romantic approach the scientific approach says whoa i'm feeling a very strong emotion right now but hang on a second Is that emotion really giving me the correct information I need as to how to proceed, whether this person is appropriate for me, or are there other things I should be paying attention to? The other key element of the romantic approach is that love will conquer all. These two people, they're definitely deeply in love. You can feel the intensity of the emotion, but did love conquer all? Anyone knows the answer to what happened to their relationship, I'm afraid to tell you. Um, Not trying to pick on them in particular, um, but love did not conquer all. I'm afraid to say the scientific pragmatic approach says love not just doesn't conquer all, love conquers so little it's really not really worth putting your chips on the roulette wheel of life too much on the notion of love. Instead, the scientific pragmatic view uh, says uh, you should place a lot more attention on another key concept, which is compatibility. And the best way to understand compatibility is to think about incompatibility. If you met Brad Pitt and for some reason he seemed really interested in you, um, incompatibility would be the top five things you couldn't abide in someone that if Brad Pitt had one of them, we'd have to say to Brad after a short while, listen, Brad, I. Think you're drop dead gorgeous, but I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. Being aware of your incompatibilities, um, and because incompatibilities always trump desire in the long run, so you can see straight away I'm driving a distinction between the romantic, attractive, alluring approach to relationships, place emotion centre stage, and the scientific, pragmatic view which says use your brain and think a bit more about relationships. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Now, we've driven a distinction between um, uh, the pragmatic view and the romantic view. So, um, let's uh, go to this next polling question. I think, Michael, you'd like to read out the question. Oh,
0: good. We'll have a short break here. Uh, brain scanning research investigating what's happened to, what happens to the brain when it's in love finds what? One, there's no pattern. Everyone's version of love is different. Distinct patterns emerge with enhanced performance in all areas. You're walking on the moon or there's a negative impact in certain functions. The uh, poll's open there, and as ever, our uh, very sort of decisive audience is two-thirds uh, voted for one one of them, up to almost three-quarters of the audience, Raj. Okay. I'm just gonna close the poll in a second, well over 80% have voted, here we go. Closing the poll now, folks, and I'll share the results. So uh, fairly clear, uh, well over half the audience uh, on item three, there is a negative impact. Um, Some believe that there's a positive impact, but very few believe that there is no pattern. Back to you, Raj.
1: Yeah, so let's go to the next slide, which is a picture of a brain, to illustrate the point that there is a brain neurological um, correlate to love and attraction. And basically, the brain scanning research is quite clear on this point. You show pictures of people you're in love with, of people in a brain scanner, and lots of positive parts of the brain light up. There are lots of activity centers, the reward centers, the dopamine centers, uh, the positivity centers, the bits where you look forward to the future and feel more optimistic, all light up in a big way. However, when you're deeply in love, two parts of the brain shut down planning and judgment okay so in other words nature is playing a trick on you nature wants you to get it on with that person and procreate and pass on your genes to future generations it doesn't want you to think too hard about it because as far as nature's concerned as long as you're procreating and passing your genes on they don't really care that much about the quality of your relationship so be aware of something you're being driven by a biological program which has another agenda it's an agenda which doesn't fit with what delivers happiness in a modern Western affluent society, which is to have a better quality of life in the long run with your partner, not to have lots of children. But that's the biological prerogative that is driving you forward. So be aware of that problem and therefore use brain override to make some key decisions. OK, let's show the next slide. Um So this chap, I don't know if many of you will know this, I like to play a little game with Italians when I visit Italy, and I say, who's the most important Italian in history? And by that, I mean the one who's had the most impact on uh, the whole world. And people give me things like Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and I say, these people are intellectual pygmies. In comparison to this guy and it's really interesting because Italians can never name this man and that is because there's been a conspiracy against him run by the Catholic Church because they viewed him as the Antichrist from the time basically he was alive and this of course is Niccolo Machiavelli who wrote a very famous book called The Prince which is said to be on the bedside tables of more leaders of the world through history than any other book And in particular, perhaps dictators have had the prince um, on, on the book. The book is called The Prince because it's a guide to power. It's not called the king the prince is aspiring to power hasn't got power yet and wants to know what the rules of power are how you get it machiavelli is viewed as the antichrist because he took a view which is that when your boss is in the office and you want to get a pay rise your boss is a means to an end machiavelli's position is people relationships are means to an end if you have goals and you want to get a pay rise you will schmooze the boss not because you really like the boss but because you want the pay rise everyone is a means to an end. Now, we could spend a whole series of talks discussing Machiavelli. To be fair to Machiavelli, and to some extent his reputation has been rehabilitated recently, Machiavelli wasn't advocating the Machiavellian or the manipulative position as the way to lead your life. He said the world forced you. Your back to the wall forced you to adopt a manipulative position because the only way to get the pay rise from the boss was to get the boss to like you and make the boss believe you're like, their best friend and then you would get the pay rise Uh, Machiavelli shrugged his shoulders and said, I didn't make the world this way the world is this way the only way to survive this brutal and cruel world is to adopt the Machiavellian position so you can see immediately we're being slightly manipulative when we think about relationships as attention interest maintenance and you're going to be maximally manipulative in the attention phase and that's just the nature of life Uh, uh, women going to a date may put makeup on and put a dress on why are they doing that Is that not a sense in which they're in a micro level being a bit manipulative? Men may decide to spend a little bit more at the restaurant than they may otherwise have done. Why are they doing that? Is there not a sense in which a little bit of manipulation is occurring? Is there not a sense in which we are all being a little bit manipulative from time to time? But just do it a bit more effectively and scientifically is what Machiavelli uh, would argue. Okay, let's show the uh, final slide. Um, which is um, Casanova. Casanova was alive in Venice several centuries ago. Casanova has the reputation for being the most uh, prolific uh, uh, seducer of women. A lot of people think Casanova would walk into a bar and pull just like that in downtown, downtown Venice, but in fact, Uh, as was the custom of the day, and the courtly custom of the day, Casanova would spend many months uh, seducing someone. So I'm gonna tell you an apocryphal story about Casanova to close the talk and to illustrate some of the points I'm making about the psychology of seduction. The story goes that Casanova walks into a bar in downtown Venice one day, she's a drop dead gorgeous actress, falls of course instantly in love, observes that she's been courted by hundreds of attractive young men who are all around her, cracking jokes they've read off the internet in an attempt to seduce her. uh, Casanova doesn't really speak to her rather mysteriously, but notices she has a lisp, a speech impediment, where she can't say words properly that have the letter R in them. Um, so he walks away from the bar, spends three days and nights doing a very mysterious thing. He writes a play. This play has a very strange feature. The feature is it has no words in it with the letter R. He returns to the bar three days and nights later. The actress is still there being seduced by the men who are giving her chocolates and flowers and all the classic predictable things that people do when they try to seduce someone. So Casanova elbows his way through the crowd, hands the play to the woman, and the seduction is successful. The key question, though, is why? Let me just unpack that. Normally, I would ask the audience this, and let's see what happens. Very interestingly, women are much better answering this question than men, in my opinion. So um, the first thing, point I want to make is that I'm writing a play that has no letters in it, no, no words in it with the letter R, it's not practically that helpful to the actress. What would be practically more helpful is that Casanova had spent the same time um, earning the money and offered to pay for speech therapy. He could have said to the girl, listen, I'll pay for speech therapy. Couldn't help me to sing, got a bit of a lisp. I'll pay for speech therapy. That is more practically helpful. That is not seductive though. The play is seductive why is the play seductive i want you to notice something seduction has got nothing to do with practical usefulness okay in fact they're often completely the opposite that the play is seductive because first point is casanova saying don't change a thing you are fantastic as you are my job is to help the world recognize the perfection that i see That is a seductive statement. Not only does he just say the words, he does the action. He goes and writes a play. He has spent time and effort producing a play. The actress knows when Casanova hands her the play, which has no words in it with the letter R, given she's got the speech impediment, he didn't just get petrol station flowers. You can't buy a play which has no words with it without the letter R from Waterstones or a petrol station. So she knows that he has a specific interest in her that is seductive whatever chat up line you're thinking of wheeling out stop and think Did the person who you're de- de- delivering the line to feel that you actually are specifically interested in them or could you deliver that deliver that line to anyone um there are lots of other reasons We're running out of time very quickly because we need to do some q a but um fundamentally one of the things casanova is doing is in here's a key catchphrase at the heart of seduction he is filling the unmet need the actress has an unmet need for plays, giving an actress, that have no words in it with the letter R. Casanova has spotted the unmet need and filled it in a way it's never been filled before. There's a two-pronged attack at the heart of all brilliant seduction, which is spot, first of all, the unmet need, and then fill the unmet need in a way it's never been filled before. And that principle applies to business. It applies to friendship. It applies to every domain in life with this relationship figure out what the unmet need is of the person you're dealing with fill it in a way it's never been filled before and they'll follow you around like a puppy dog for the rest of your life okay now we can in the q a discuss how you spot the unmet need i find it really interesting that people ask that question because it means they've not been engaged in this project at all which means they've not been thinking about what seduction is but one final final point i want to make is that um, Casanova, in handing the play over, I understand straight away what you're thinking. It's a bit weird. That's a slightly weird thing to do. Like some of the things we discussed right at the beginning, go to a horror film or a roller coaster ride, that was a bit weird. The, the restaurant option was a safer option, okay? Now, in a competitive world, you can go safe and do what everyone else is doing, and you won't lose that much from that. But if you go a bit weird, you get people's attention. Okay, let's go back to attention, interest, demeanors. The actress had never had anyone present a play with her to her that had no letters, words in it with a letter without the letter R. And so it got her attention. Now, there's the edge of weirdness where you go too weird and then the actress is going to turn their back on you. But there is a sense in which if you want to do this courageously, skillfully, and bravely, you are going to get people's attention by being a bit different. And that is part of the art of seduction. I think we're running out of time, Michael. You probably want us to st- close there and do some q and A. I I suspect.
0: Well, I do, but it's always a delight to listen to you. A few quick questions then. I've got quite a few there. Folks, do get your questions or comments or observations in early. Um, you, you said earlier you are going to give us your speed dating results. Do you mind uh, sharing those?
1: <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of things I said in the three minutes, believe it or not. But one of the things I figured out to say, and again, very manipulative. I accept that. It's attention, interest, maintenance. I was just going to get their attention. I was only going to be manipulative for the first three minutes. Later on in the relationship, um, you have to drop manipulation. And, and that's what people get wrong when they think about the fact I'm advocating a manipulative position. I'm saying manipulation is is very prominent at the beginning of a relationship, but as the relationship progresses you have to drop the manipulation because it's not going to work in the long run now let's do we could do a poll question where we ask men what is in the three minutes you got to impress a woman and, and get her interested what are the domains you're going to use well what you do for a living right is it's kind of important believe it or not in the th- if you've only really got three minutes um, so what men do for a living is very important to women when they're trying to establish what that is in three minutes so what's the most seductive thing a man can say who is taking part in a BBC experiment and who's very worried he's gonna get no, no, no one interested and he's willing to play fast and loose with the truth okay because all's fair in love and war so I went with a particular profession okay now if you ask men what's the best profession to choose or ask women it's very interesting no one one's come up with a better choice than this. Sorry to sound a bit arrogant. I said, and I was playing fast and loose with the truth. I said, I'm a pediatric heart surgeon and I spend my day mending tiny broken little hearts. I'm sorry, it's very, very schmaltzy, but I had to pull out the big guns because my wife was terrified I was going to get no responses. So of the eight women I met that evening, and one of them, by the way, when I said to her, what kind of man are you looking for? She said, I need a man with a British passport because I'm from Turkey. Um, So uh, I was well in right there straight away. I I ticked that box. uh, of all the, um, the the people I met that evening, I, I'm sorry, one other quick thing I wanted to say. When I was chatting to the men beforehand, and I said, have you got a strategy for tonight? They gave me a very blank look, and they said, um, strategy, what are you talking about? We're just gonna be ourselves. And I said, um, have you ever wondered why you're single? <laughs> it's Because being yourself, I was being a bit cruel, but you know, the BBC were recording it, so they needed some material to liven things up a bit. Um, anyway, so, um, I think i did better than anyone else because they were all busy being themselves and i was busy being a pediatric heart surgeon so that you know they they were they were not out of the starting blocks so of the eight women i met that evening um, all eight ticked the box that they wanted to see me again now did they all believe i was a pediatric heart surgeon i don't think they did they were intelligent women but you know what they thought this is a crazy guy saying some really crazy stuff i don't mind meeting him again to see what's going to happen next i got their attention and that's all that i needed to do for the three minutes. I simplified the project is what I'm trying to say. And I think the science of seduction helps you do that.
0: What was the best chat-up line you got?
1: Um, oh, right. So the other thing I said, sorry, this is when, when the people showed no interest because I tried to detect whether there was interest in what I did for a living and many of the women actually weren't that interested in that. So I then moved on to hobbies and interests. Right. So I said, um, I like flying vintage aeroplanes. <laughs> that was my hobby. OK, going down with the risky thing. Right. You see, I was getting the risky route because of the research evidence about the fun fair and the and that kind of things to its attraction. So one of the women said, um, oh, um, um and so um what do you what are you doing th- are you flying a plane this weekend so you know that was an open invitation so i said yes i am actually flying my vintage uh world war ii biplane a uh, world war one biplane down to nice this weekend i said why don't you come with me and we'll have lunch in nice and she said sounds a bit much for a first date which i thought was a great slap down
0: <laughs> okay uh, just applying that to of business um Mm-hmm. What's your stance, for example, on corporate away days? Should I invite my boss on a corporate away day, which is sort of the physical and the equivalent of the roller coaster experience?
1: Well, again, you see, I think what's really interesting is the idea that seduction happens. You you pick a mood restaurant with with candlelight dinner and uh, mood music. That seductions are going to occur there. You see, I think all of us, at some level have opportunities to be really seductive in everyday life, and we don't take that opportunity. We're waiting for a particular moment. And people are going on a date, and they think, I'll I'll turn on the charm during the date. And by that time, it's way too late. You've had a chance to be charming um, during the micro-conversations you've had with the person leading up to the date. So I think you should be very wary of the notion that seduction has to occur in places where seduction is expected to occur. And I actually think that puts a lot of pressure on it is the wrong environment. I think the best kind of seduction is unexpected seduction. I think every single interaction you have with anyone is an opportunity to be seductive, because most of the time people indicate a lack of interest in us and a lack of care. And so it's like bond or obvious if all of a sudden you're getting unexpected sense of care and interest, even just listening carefully to what people have to say, responding to what they have to say. And by the way, in the mental vaccine book, there is some interesting research looking at very basic questions in a conversation, how you signal interest in another person in terms of what they said. What, what they say, you should ask a question back about what they said, signals dramatic interest. And how, how many times do we experience that? We tell people what our weekend was like, and there's absolutely no interest in what we were doing for the weekend. And that's just not seductive. Seduction occurs at a micro level. It's not chocolates and, and flowers. Um, it's, it's at a micro level. Um, it, it's the throwaway lines where seduction occurs, in my opinion.
0: Now, I've got to give credit, Eric Brutin dialing in from Toronto, um, but he actually typed this question in several minutes ago, just as you opened on Casanova. He says, uh, Casanova described his approach in steps. One, identify a problem. Two, solve the problem for the woman. Three, use a woman's sense of gratitude to seduce her. Four, pretend he was not worth her and leave her gracefully. Do you think there are patterns of seduction that work with people uniformly?
1: Yes, um, it's, a, it's a brilliant question. So I'm going to give you a very, um, very manipulative experiment that was done that illustrates this point. So in the experiment, students who are confederates of the experimenter, because the students take part in experiments, particularly in psychology departments in, in universities in the US, to get what's called course credit. So they often are, you know, willing victims of the experimenter. So in this experiment, the students are asked to go out on a date in a restaurant and invite a- another unsuspecting student who doesn't realize they're taking part in an experiment on the date. The instruction in condition one of the experiment for the Confederate experiment is throughout the date, to disagree with everything the other person says. Uh, did you vote for Hillary? No, I voted for Trump. You disagree. Did you like the fish? No, I didn't like the fish. You disagree with everything they said. Uh, did you like Jaws, the film? No, I hated it. You disagree. And then at the end of the film, it's, at the end of the, um, the evening, it is revealed that the other student's been taking part in a psychology experiment, and a, a rating is, for, is secured for how attractive the person who's doing the disagreeing was found to be. In condition two of the experiment, the students are sent out and asked to agree with everything the other person said. Okay, uh, did you vote for Trump? Yes, I did. Did you vote for Trump? Yes, I did. Okay, we both agree on on this. And um, you agree with everything, and at the end of the date, a, a, a rating is secured for how attractive you were found. It comes as no surprise, that agreeing with everything the other person says, you're found more attractive than if you spent the whole evening just disagreeing. In condition three, of the experiment, the student is asked to start off the date disagreeing, spend the first half of the date disagreeing with everything the other person says, then when the clock hand got to 9pm, and the other half of the date was to come, they suddenly switched and started agreeing. And in that condition, they were found most attractive of all. Why? very manipulative technique why there are various theories to save time one theory is the other person the poor unsuspecting victim we didn't know they're taking part in a manipulative psychology experiment what was their experience of the date the experience of the date was the first half of the day was a bit of a nightmare the other person just disagreed with everything i said then magically enough all of a sudden they seemed to warm up to me i must have seduced them in other words they got attracted to me they warmed up there's nothing more seductive than the idea that you seduce someone and you warm them up and they're now attracted to you, hence the switch. So um, that experiment um, is actually very obscure, uh, undeservedly so, but illustrates a very important point. If you throw in a bit of resistance, Before you finally come round, the fact you have come round is found a hell of a lot more attractive. And I've used this technique um, for unsuspecting people who invite me um, to give talks. Paul Michael has not been the victim of this technique. But um, uh, before COVID, when I got invited to do lots of talks at at physical venues, I found if I turned up half an hour early, the organizers were um, relatively pleased to see me. If I leave it to about five minutes before the talk's about to begin, they're delirious with joy that I've turned up. And so they're much more pleased to see me and the audience is also a lot more pleased because they were worried i wasn't going to come so i I, i'm exaggerating the point slightly but the point i'm trying to make is that um again i want to emphasize these manipulative techniques which have been shown in psychology experiments to maximize attraction i am not advocating them as the way you should lead your life i'm saying that at particular moments at the beginning when you're trying to ignite interest at the attention phase, then maybe a part of the interest phase, but certainly not into the maintenance phase, you would want to consider some of these. My okay. final point is this, even if you don't want to do them, be aware you're the victim of them. Other people are using them on you, so at least be aware of that.
0: Well, so um, got quite a few here, so very quickly, Al Brown, just on that one, was there a fourth condition in that experiment where students started by agreeing, but at nine o'clock started disagreeing, and were they the least attractive? <laughs>
1: Well, I don't think, the experimenters didn't really feel there was any point doing that particular condition. It's not a bad um, uh, question. In fact, there's a very good question here, which is, in fact, there was a fourth condition, and it was different. It was, let's switch from disagreeing to agreeing later and later in the date, okay? So what you're doing there is you're really... Shoring up the stress levels, okay, and then finally switching at the last minute. And one of the theories is, if you were going with a stress relief theory, going back to the roller coaster ride argument at the beginning of the of the polling question, that what you're doing is you're making the situation the date a bit more stressful, and then you're taking away the stress. That amount increasing the stress by disagreeing for longer before you switching to agreeing would 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 weight the 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 theory as to what's going on on the stress reduction theory of romance, make mm. them stressed then take away the stress and that's how you engineer uh, romance as opposed to the warm-up theory which is oh, the person warmed up to me the the, the warm-up theory um, wouldn't um, be explained by if you switched later and later there was more attraction the evidence of the fourth condition interestingly enough was if you switched later and later it seemed to increase attraction can I just give you a little bit of a warning here Michael to many men who may have misinterpreted this result there is no point having spent the whole day disagreeing having the door slammed in your face because you have timed your time to start agreeing too late, okay? Um, so anyway, people often do that uh, when they hear the result of this experiment. Anyway, Good. Um, um, Good. My, my point being, you can be scientific about the manipulation if you are aware of some of these rules of attraction.
0: Uh, Nick Bush is uh, curious, if your team starts to apply these principles, don't you just end up with a bunch of sycophatic, overpaid toadies, surely a recipe for failure. Um, but Sarah, Sarah Sutton, uh, sorry, excuse me, Sarah Raza, is interested. How do you apply this to the maintenance stage? You haven't spoken much oh, about
1: that. Very, very good point. You see, a woman's asking about the maintenance phase. It's very interesting. Um, can I go back, though, um, to um, uh, the, the guy's question about um, sycophants? People miss this point about manipulation, and Machiavelli made this point when he wrote about this you know, 500 years ago. If you can spot the manipulation, if you can spot the fact that someone is using a technique on you, then it's no longer manipulative, it's just stupid, okay? The heart of manipulation is the person can't spot the manipulation, okay? If they can spot it, then you're dead in the water and you've wasted your time, okay? The whole art of manipulation is to do it in a way people don't know they're being manipulated, okay? And and that's why a huge amount of advertising is trying to tell you this isn't an advert, this is something else. Obviously it is an advert, okay? But the more obvious an advert is an advert, the less likely it is to be effective. The more they distract you away from the idea it's an advert by entertaining you and amusing you, so you stop thinking of it as an advert, but as a piece of entertainment, the more likely they are to get under your skin and and manipulate you. So um, a very good question about attention, interest, maintenance. People are often galloping to maintenance. They think, God dear, this attention interest stuff really hard work. I want to finally meet someone we're compatible with. We've decided we're going to spend our lives together, and that's it. We can breathe a sigh of relief. We'll have nice Friday evenings in, and we don't have to worry about all this agree disagree thing on on the Friday night uh, restaurant thing or the roller coaster ride. We can we can call a break to these these death-defying roller coaster rides that is a very dangerous idea at the heart of attention interest maintenance cycle is a very important idea when you finally gallop to maintenance okay by the way beware of galloping to maintenance too quickly Um, but when you finally get to maintenance you can't abandon the cycle attention interest maintenance my argument is to have 50 years together with someone that you're compatible with and have love for 50 years you have to be constantly cycling through attention interest and maintenance with that one person next weekend you say pack your toothbrush we're going somewhere i'm not telling you where wow you've got their attention now all of a sudden okay you have to be constantly cycling not every hour not every week but every few months or so you have to do something that gets your partner's attention You have to stop being predictable and you cycle back through attention, interest and maintenance. It's a constant cycle you should be thinking about doing as the art of seduction throughout your 50 years of marriage. And if you make the grave mistake, this is why the model is so powerful of galloping to maintenance, thinking, "Okay, we're in maintenance. I can relax now. I need to warn you about something. Some Casanova out there who understands attention and interest and maintenance will come along and get your partner's attention, okay, in a way that you, because you kind of lost their attention because you thought you were camping out in maintenance. So this is very important. Be constantly thinking, when was the last time I got my, my partner's attention? And getting their attention is about doing something slightly unexpected. Mm. Um, that's at the heart of um uh, uh, of attention, interest, and maintenance. So constantly be cycling through attention, interest, and maintenance. Be very, very worried, in my opinion, if you believe you've camped out in maintenance and therefore you can forget about attention and interest. Because we live in a world where if your partner is, and I'm sure they are, seductive, then other people will be out there deploying the attention, interest, maintenance thing. And by the way, sorry to. You know, be politically really incorrect. It's kind of in the news this week. Two marriages that are in the top of politics that have been going on for quite a long time are broken up. Marriages that lasted over 20 years. What happened there? Maybe something went wrong on the attention interest maintenance front. Uh,
0: Charles Vermont's curious. Surely seduction is unnecessary where people have interests in common.
1: Ah, very interesting. Okay. So um, this, and again, is a, another common idea. You see, what, as a psychiatrist, we're in grave danger of overanalyzing questions. I think and the heart of this question is another idea. Seduction sounds like too much like hard work. Why should I put in the work? It should be more relaxing. I think seduction is work. There's no doubt about that, but it should be work that you enjoy doing. You should be enjoying thinking, how do I seduce my wife or husband? And um, that project should be of interest to you. You should find paradoxically, the art of seduction seductive. You should find that a joy. Um, in my opinion, if you want to be a seductive person. I don't think Casanova, one of the things that people mis- misunderstood about Casanova um, is that he actually had a massive respect for women at, at one level, that's why he was a seductive guy. And he was very creative as well, by the way. The whole play thing is tremendously creative. What other people are thinking, oh, I haven't got the intellectual capacity to do all that work, to come up with the play, and then write the play that has no words in it with a letter R, but it's a great model. You should be devoting yourself to some of these projects because they're seductive. That's what yeah. seduction's about. We live in a culture which doesn't want too much hard work. I'm sorry about that. Seduction is work, but it should be work that's a joy, in my opinion.
0: Um, we'll just try and be quick if we can. Uh, Sarah Sutton, uh, how do you end the relationship without causing hurt to the other person?
1: Well excellent question and of course there's a huge amount of manipulation here right um involved in how to do that manipulation is always in play when you're going to collide with someone when you're going to tell them something they don't want to hear so i mean you've got a choice there you can go with brutal honesty um frankly speaking it's not working between us and i don't like you and if you go with brutal honesty there are all sorts of problems with that you hurt and upset people and also um you're liable to have a fight on your hands if they're not willing to let go Manipulation. It's where you tell people, and this is again why Machiavelli became the Antichrist, at the heart of manipulation is always telling people something they want to hear, but you still get to do what you want to do, Um, and that's the paradox at the heart of manipulation. So, um, a a manipulative um, explanation, um, deeply manipulative, I'm not advocating this one, I'm just explaining um, manipulative techniques, is to say, I think we need to take a break. Now, people often um, accept the break point, because they think the break doesn't mean we're ending it, really you are ending it it's just they they're accepting a break as, as a, a better step than ending it so that's a classic example of a, a a manipulation in play um the the other the other manipulative thing to do which is more dark and devious is to be so difficult to be where the other person decides they've had enough of you and they're the ones that ends it so again manipulation is you get the other person to do what you wanted to do anyway but it looks like the other person's decision There's lots of other manipulative stuff, but manipulation is always in play when you're colliding with people, and the only other option is brutal honesty. Is brutal honesty really gonna work in that situation? Brutal honesty has a lot of consequences in terms of emotional fallout.
0: So, uh, Hugh Purser, in a boardroom setting, for example, should seduction be limited to one individual, or can you apply seduction to a
1: group? Oh, very, very good question. Of course, the classic example of this is cults. Cults love bomb you and they seduce you into joining the cult because a group of people come up and tell you stuff that you want to hear. Um, So a group of people, and this is at the heart of group therapy as well, a group of people practicing seduction on you is devastatingly um, effective. And I think it's fascinating how boardrooms, I mean, I do some consultancy work with companies, how boardrooms don't don't coordinate this because at the heart of a lot of negotiation is a seduction. Um, and a, a, lot, a lot of mergers and acquisitions and so on are seductions that are in play. And I find it amazing how people don't coordinate uh, the seduction. Again, why don't they do that? Because they see it as too manipulative. And again, okay, well, don't be manipulative then, but you know, um, you, you're losing out on one of the major tools of of human affairs. Um, So I think you're absolutely right, but clearly, the seduction is going to require coordination between people and that coordination is something they feel uneasy or they, they feel is is distasteful um, one final point I want to make about the whole manipulation thing about people's unease with manipulation manipulation is happening all the time around us um, unless you go with brutal honesty and explain to someone what a nightmare weekend you had with your children and regale them with what a terrible time it was when you meet them at mon- mon- your boss at Monday morning at 9 o'clock you are being manipulative you're being manipulated by editing out all the stuff you really are thinking, but don't say. All I'm advocating is not that you're being manipulative, you're just more manipulative in an effective manner, uh, is the point I'm trying to make. Angel
0: Gaviera, any quick tips on discovering the holy unmet need, uh, as Casanova
1: did? Yes, this is an excellent question and I think it's very interesting that people are brave enough to ask that question. I think there's certain bravery in saying I haven't really quite figured that, that out, but I think through natural conversation, you see all your conversation of any description in terms of small talk should be a fishing expedition, in my opinion, to find out the other person's unmet need. That is if you're wanting to engage with that person at a deep level. So you see, deep down, I think that's really romantic. Okay, but yeah, at the some level you could say that you're engaged in in a manipulative enterprise by doing that. So I want you to see that the whole manipulation thing has got a really bad name over the years thanks to catholic church's attitude to machiavelli um but at some level manipulation doesn't mean you're, you're going to treat people horribly it might actually mean you might treat them better so the project of trying to find out people's unmet needs is asking lots of questions about themselves and seeing what the gaps might be that they're not telling you because it's difficult for people to be direct about the unmet unmet needs, about the bits that aren't quite working in their lives. And that's the bit where you have to step in and say and ask questions about, so what would you prefer to have happened? Okay, What was it that upset you most about that thing that happened, et cetera, et cetera? You are going to have to ask questions, but questions directed towards trying to figure out the unmet need is a great way of signalling deep interest in, in another person.
0: Well, I'd recommend that Angel watch many rom-coms because that's almost always the plot twist, you know, he takes her horse racing or whatever, and that's the one thing she didn't get. But uh, two very quick ones, I'm afraid. Simon Greenlee, uh, what about the,
1: the concept of playing hard to get?
0: D- does it work? How's that best
1: used? Um- that's that's a really interesting one. So um, let's take another really brutal example, and they're all politically incorrect, and I can't shy away from that, these examples, so I apologize in advance. Uh, a man walks into a bar, meets a woman, and starts to um, chatter up, and he's witty and charming, and they may end up um, um, in some intimate uh, situation later on that evening or, or or in a week's time. If the man walks into the bar and walks up to the girl and immediately says, I think you're drop-dead gorgeous, I want to sleep with you, okay, there's a sense in which he's just been boldly obvious about what the project is um and in the in condition one of the experiment where he came up into the bar and just was charming the girl uh, um, and obviously you could reverse genders here i don't don't mean to be sexist knows full well what's going on why is it being explicit and bold with the statement up front is a hell of a lot less seductive because it is by and large okay um yet um by by um coming at it by being charming and interesting and witty and so on, the the other person knows full well what's going on. But there is a sense in which the condition whereby you're not explicit directly about your needs is a, a hell of a lot more seductive because it's not about you and what you want, It's about the other person and what they want, okay? Mm -hmm. That's what seduction is. Seduction is I'm going to pay you the compliment of thinking you're so fantastic. I'm here to deliver what it is that's been missing from the world so far in your life, okay? Mm -hmm. And in that interaction, by me giving you what it is you've been looking for but haven't got from the world, you will then return the favor to me. So the starting point is what can I give you, okay? And again, I think that's a kind of noble thing um, as opposed to a terrible thing.
0: And a final quick one for me um, uh, humor, does that fall into attention, interest, maintenance?
1: Okay, brilliant, brilliant question. There's all sorts of reasons why, when you go into the psychology of humor, psych- humor is very, very important. The research evidence indicates that um, one of the things that's going on is when you look at the thing that people value most character wise and other people they find most attractive. Interestingly enough, it's not what many people think it is. it is intelligence. Intelligence comes top of the list with both genders and what they're looking for, what they find most seductive. The research evidence suggests that a sense of humor is a proxy measure for intelligence. Um, so people think that you're, but that is straight away what that means. That means you're not reading off jokes you found on the internet. That doesn't seem very intelligent. Instead, it is making humor out of any situations just occurred. It looks like quick thin- thinking, intellectual agility. So um, again, notice again, we're being a bit manipulative here, okay? You're not just being funny for the sake of being funny. If you understand that being funny is found deeply attractive, but why it's found attractive, you will change the humor. You won't just read jokes from off the internet. You will now understand what kind of humor is, is more likely to work. That's why the science of seduction is so important to be aware of.
0: Raj, as ever, we we always always leave you a couple extra minutes. We probably shouldn't, but it's been a delight as ever. Uh, Three quick rounds of thanks. uh, Firstly, to our sponsors for allowing us to have Raj back. Uh, Secondly, to you, the audience, you've been super, and I'm going to make sure that uh, Raj gets all of your questions, comments, and observations. Um, But Raj, obviously to you, you've obviously gathered our attention three times now. You clearly have our interest, and uh, hopefully we will maintain having you on the programs uh, in, in the future. Um, As ever, I'm going to use my attention-gathering device to give you uh, applause, which is my Korean karmic clapper, and I thank you so much for appearing, and we look forward to having you back again, and folks, uh, I have read uh, the book uh, on COVID, and it is wonderful. It is not what you think it is. It's going to be a book that endures for a while. It's not a transient fad. Raj, thank you so much. Thank you.